Louis Bridgman to come up. I'm going to do a little bit of an interview. After that, we are going to go into the Word of God. And after that, we'll have a period of questions and answers, if we have enough time. And seeing that it's Louis and I that's speaking, forget about the question and answer. No, no. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the breaking of bread that we had. Thank you for how you spoke to our hearts. We thank you, Father, that we serve a true and living God and that he is with us this morning. We thank you, Father, for each and every person that's here. Uh, you know them. You know the people also that are on Zoom. You know what they are living. But, Father, we believe that you are there, you are here, and that you desire fellowship with us. You desire, Father, to be with us, to speak with us. You desire to become our God. You desire to be our God. And we just pray this morning that you might open our hearts open the eyes of our intelligence that we might understand what you are saying to us. Make it, make it personal, Father, through your Holy Spirit. May your Holy Spirit fill this place and may your name be glorified in the name of Jesus. Amen. Louis, where are you? You can't see me because of your laptop. I, did, I, I tried it on my iPad and it wasn't working, which really bugged me. But anyway... Yeah, I know. Louis and I have had some very special times these last couple of weeks, and when he knew that I was going to be speaking today, uh, it was just. Beg your pardon? I can't see your face. You can't see my face? Some people would say that's good. <laughs> that's good? That better? Sorry. While Les is getting that ready, maybe I'll explain while I'm, why I'm here a little bit, if that's okay with you, Les. Sure. Uh, many of you know me from Rosemount Bible Church. Um, I've been attending this church with my wife going back almost 20 years. Um, and some of you will wonder why I'd be up here for a topic like anxiety and depression. It's because I have uh, lived with it uh, for the better part of my life. Um, unless you're really struggling there, so I think I'll, I'll actually go into our first question together. It's okay. You've been diagnosed yeah. with anxiety and with depression. Well, yes, Les. <laughs> How perceptive of you. <laughs> I have been, but uh, uh, I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, I'm 44 years old, and uh, I've been a Christian for more than half of my life. I know the Lord well, and, and um, I appreciate um, his death on the cross for me. I understand it intellectually. I know the joy that um, I have experienced and continue to experience through that. I've taught Sunday school. I have led small groups. I have served as an elder in, in other churches in Montreal. I still live with depression every day of my life. Um, I experience anxiety and I have been diagnosed in my 30s by a, a physician with general anxiety disorder as well as with uh, clinical depression. That's 
the answer to your first question, and I think you're, you're just about back on track with your PowerPoint. What's it like living day to day with these disorders, Louis? Well, there's a difference between um, feeling anxious and being scared and having clinical anxiety. Um, fear is a normal human emotion, right? Um, think about the last time that you had a near car accident. You ever have that happen? You slam on the brakes and your heart is pounding. You think, wow, that was a close call. And then after a while, you continue driving, you move on with your day, and your heart stops pounding. And you get distracted by something on the radio, and life just moves. It moves on. The fear goes away. That's how fear works. With clinical anxiety, it doesn't go away. First of all, <clears throat> living with anxiety is something like this. In, the, in about the 30 minutes before I wake up in the morning, I start to realize that I'm almost awake. That period where the rest of you might totally fade away and, and get more sleep, I'll start to get that, that feeling in my stomach, like my, my guts are twisting up, and I'll feel a, a tenseness in my chest. Uh, a pressure that keeps pushing and grinding at me and it'll spread through my arms and legs and even though I'm exhausted because I don't sleep much I can't stay in bed I gotta get up because that feeling is torture and I feel that every single day for no reason I'll feel that way just because um, depression there's also a difference between feeling sad, which is totally normal, and living with depression. I didn't have a bad day. It's not because of COVID. It's not because I'm working from home. I've had this since childhood, as far back as I can remember. And living with depression, it's hard to describe. Sometimes I feel like it's living with a second skin less. Like I'm feeling things and thinking things that I don't want to feel or think, but they're there, and I wish that I could just rip them off, but they snap back. Living with depression is like um, standing near quicksand all the time. Sometimes I feel numb, I feel nothing at all, and then all of a sudden there's a deep sadness that doesn't go away, not for hours, not for days. I get intrusive thoughts, things that aren't true, but they're in my head all the time, that I'm stupid, that I'm ugly, that I'm fat, that I don't belong at the job that I have, that my family doesn't love me, that they're stuck with me, and we have to be together, but but otherwise, there's no reason why anybody should want to be near me. Enough? I wish. Yeah. How are you getting help, Louis? Well, I am getting help. 
I, I take medication. I take antidepressants. Uh, living with depression is an exhausting thing. It's exhausting to have those thoughts. It's exhausting to feel that way. It's also exhausting to act around other people like you're not feeling those things. Um, which means I'm tired all the time and it's very difficult to find sleep. And the anxiety makes it difficult to stay asleep. So I take uh, medication to help with insomnia. I haven't slept well all year. Um, I see my family doctor about once a month. I see a, a, I've been seeing psychotherapists for years. Some Christian ones, and most recently a secular one. It isn't a large sample size, but my observation has been, for whatever reason, that the secular one, the secular psychotherapist, has been my best experience, my most helpful experience so far. That's not a commentary on Christian psychology, it's just my personal experience. Hmm. Your mileage may vary. I also see a psychiatrist. I've been blessed this year that I am being seen by a family doctor for my physical condition. I'm seeing a psychotherapist to do talk therapy, and I'm seeing a psychiatrist whose job it is to manage my, my um, mood disorder medication. And all three of them talk with one another. That is amazing. That is rare. God bless the province of Quebec hmm. and our health care system and our health care workers. I also have, as a result of my talk therapy, I continue to open up more and more with other people about what I'm living with. I'm, I'm open with my wife Kelly and our boys who are here today to support me. I'm not as open as I should be there's an awful lot that goes on in my head that I don't tell people, because sometimes it's scary. I've opened up to friends, many of whom are in this church. I've opened up last year to my small group in our prayer, during our prayer time, which was a very scary thing for me to do. second please. I feel like I'm forgetting something. I've take your time, take your time. I've shared this with our church leadership, with the, with the elders and members of, some members of the leadership practicum in this church, they're also aware of what I'm going through. I've gone through a, a severe panic attack this year, Les. I've never had one before, I've only heard it described to me, but have you ever, have you ever missed a step on a staircase, or? Don't ask my family, they'll tell you for sure. <laughs> you know that feeling when you miss a step for a second, or if you lean your chair too far back, there's that split second where you think you're going too far. And there's, there's this panic that lasts for a millisecond. Imagine if that were to just keep going, that, that feeling of shock. Um, I cried non-stop. I couldn't, I couldn't stop crying. I was hyperventilating so much that I, I couldn't feel my hands or arms anymore. They were getting tingly. Um, my family didn't know what to do. My son, Nathaniel, who's here, who just turned 18, God bless him, he, he, he took my head in his hands 
and he had me look in his eyes and he got me to follow his breathing. I don't know where you got that, son, but I appreciated that so much. He calmed me down and Steve McCart came to the house and spent the day with me. I, I was what we, call, what, we, what we call ugly crying and snot running and it was, <laughs> my family saw me at a very vulnerable position and I'm sharing this all with you in detail because I want you to know what it looks like. So what am I doing for help less? I'm doing all of that. What do you think the church could do differently to help people that are suffering the same things, Louis? This is the reason why I wanted to be here and uh, I hope we're doing okay on time. Oh like, yeah, don't worry about the time. Don't I, worry, I worry about, about the time. Everything like <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> We're all part of the church. That, that is the blessing that we have together. So, um, so I first want to speak to people who might be like me, people who suffer with depression and anxiety. There is something that you can do, which is very difficult, uh, which is the main reason why I'm up here. It is very hard to be up here and to be this vulnerable. I, I want to do it because I believe that as a church we can do more. If you struggle with anxiety, if you have the kind of depressive, intrusive thoughts that I talk about, I think it's important that you tell somebody. I think it's important that you tell somebody from this church. I'm not talking about telling your whole life story if that's not something you're ready for. But I think it's okay for you to tell someone that you trust, or even a stranger like me, you don't know me, I can't judge you because I don't know you. But if you just want one person in the church to know that you're struggling, you need to tell somebody. If you're part of a small group in this church and you have never asked for prayer about your depression or your anxiety because that's just not done, I would like, I would like to challenge you to think differently about that. And I would like you to know that I'm praying for you as a church that if, if there are those of you who are in that situation and, to, and are too afraid to ask for prayer, I would like you to, to think about doing that and I will be praying for you to do that. There is a danger that Nick as well talked about a couple weeks ago when he introduced the topic of, of uh, depression and anxiety in the context of this series and he talked about how it can lead to isolation. I know that very well. You, you, if you are a part of the body of Christ and, and are struggling with anxiety and depression, the, 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 the temptation to isolate yourself and to hide away from other people is strong. And, and I, again, I pray for you and I, I encourage you to resist the temptation to isolate yourself. I encourage you to be in community, to be known by other people and to ask for help. For the rest of the church, I, I definitely think we need to change the way that we talk about depression and anxiety. And it's difficult. I don't criticize because it's hard to understand less. It's, it's hard to know what it's like unless you live with it. Um, one observation I make, we pray very regularly for people with physical ailments. If you think about something like cancer, 
we can be really specific, can't we? When we pray for people with cancer, we talk about the specific types of cancer. We talk about the specific treatments. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. We should be specific when we pray. I would like us to encourage, I would like to encourage us to think likewise about how we talk about mental illness in the church, how we pray about mental illness. I'm not struggling with depression. I'm not having a bad day. I live with it. No. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm, I'm somewhat convinced that I will continue to live with this for the rest of my life. Just like some people live with physical ailments for the rest of their lives. Jesus walks with me through that. I know that. And I'm okay with that. So I'd, I'd like to encourage us as a church to normalize talking about this more. Um, to be inclusive about people with anxiety and depression by being more specific, by praying more regularly. I was terrified at the idea of asking to be included on the RBC prayer chain about my depression, because that would mean people would know, and then what would they think? Huh. That's not a reflection on the church, by the way. That's just a reflection on me and how I think. Nobody has given me that impression or caused me to fear that. That's just me. I would like to encourage Christians who mean well to just think twice before giving advice. I have been told to just pray about it. I should pray about it. I need to pray about it. But it could send the wrong signal that all I have to do is pray about it. That may not be the case. I've been I've been told, hey, you know, when I have a bad day, Louis, I go for a run. I do need exercise, now more than ever. But I'm not having a bad day, and it sucks to be told that, as if that's all I'm struggling with. <clears throat> I've been told by Christians that maybe I should think about smoking pot. <laughs> Substance abuse is not a good piece of advice. <laughs> let, doctors, let doctors take care of um, prescriptions. I, I don't need to know about your, your essential oil or the melatonin that you take or anything else. People are well-intentioned, but it's just dangerous to give advice. But there are things that people can do if they want to reach out. I do think it's good, and this is my last, no, it's not, I'm lying. It's not my last bit, I'm sorry. It's okay. Be attentive to people that you know who struggle with anxiety and depression. What do I mean by that? Sometimes you will notice that I'm in a very sociable mood and I'll hang around and I'll be joking. That's because I'm, I'm ready to do that. Or sometimes I'm standing around the church. That means that I probably want to interact with people. I just don't know who, and I'm a bit shy. But I, but I feel like socializing. I don't want to be isolated. Sometimes you will notice that I bolt out the door 
right as we're finishing prayer so that people's eyes are closed and they won't see me leave. Uh, that means that I'm probably not ready to talk. Even if you think that you'd love to talk to me, maybe, maybe text me. I have a brother in this church, actually I feel like saying his name, so Uberson. Uberson knew that I was going through a tough time and he tried calling and I didn't really want to talk and I apologized to him later and I said I wasn't in a talking mood and he was super practical. He said, just text me, just if you're going through a tough time and you're not, in a, you're not ready to talk about it, just text me, just text, pray for me and I'll know what you need. I'll know what you need and I'll pray for you. And that was super helpful, Uberson. Um, two last things, and they're very short, and I'm sorry for spending so much time. Don't be sorry. Um, I, would, I would ask, when the, the church knows that there's someone like me struggling with anxiety and depression, to pray for their family members because, um, because I, I can be a lot to live with. Um, a person who is as needy as I am, can suck the air out of the room and, and it can be exhausting for Kelly and the boys. So pray for them. Pray for the family members of people who struggle with this. And uh, my last note will be, um, with mood disorders, when you talk about depression, um, people have intrusive thoughts and sometimes those intrusive thoughts will include the the thought of suicide, even among the Christian community. I just shared with Les the podcast of a brother of mine who was an elder at a church I served at. In early 2020, their 18-year-old son hung himself and died after a long bout with depression. If someone talks to you about suicide, about suicidal thoughts, don't need to call 911. But it is serious. That person needs to talk to some kind of professional. They can talk to someone, uh, an elder in the church. They can talk to a doctor. But they need to talk to someone. It, it mustn't be ignored. Thank you for your time, Les. Stay. Dave Burton, Dave Dawson, Stephen McCarg, and Kelly, please come up here. can't just listen to something like that and not react as a church. Dave Breton is the chairman of the elders board for those on Zoom, for those that don't know. Dave Dawson, he's one of the doctors. He's my doctor. And he's a good doctor. And uh, Kelly, well, Kelly's his wife. And Steve is a good friend and in his Bible study. So I would ask Dave Breton, if you could just pray for Louis now, we gather around. Let's put our hands on him. Father, we thank you that you understand. Yes. We know, Father, that as we have listened to Louis's incredibly transparent uh, sharing with us his journey, Father, we know that you hear 
understand. Father, we pray that the sharing of his heart would not be in vain. Yes. That it would uh, touch us, change us, help us in our of our brothers and sisters, of those in our community, of those around us that deal with mental health. Yes. Father, we have heard his prayer, his request for prayer today. And we pray for him, for Kelly, mm. for their boys, for their family. Father, we love this brother. He is so gifted. He has got such a heart for you. And so, Father, we just lift him and Kelly and their boys up to you. And just ask, Father, that you would be very present, that you would be underneath with those everlasting arms. And we thank you. We pray together. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Keith, the PowerPoint, we're gonna you're gonna have to listen to what I'm saying and then jump to where I am. So good luck. Well, may the Lord help you. What I want to do is I want to read a passage of scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 to 11. I'd like to tell you that there is no other book in all of the Bible that speaks more to what what Louis was talking about and what other people might be going through, either through anxiety and depression or very Deep, deep pain and suffering. No other book in the Bible. And the passage that I'd like to look at today is the first chapter, like I said, in chapter 1 and verse 3 to 11. The slide starts by Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, sorry, starting in verse 1 by the will of God, and Timothy our brother. To the church of God that is at Corinth, to all the saints, or in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. 
For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly a burden by our, beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. There's a, why do we suffer? Next slide. Paul writes this epistle, and he himself has gone through uh, quite a bit of suffering. He's gone through physical suffering. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about a thorn in his flesh. What is it? We don't know. He also talks about all of his persecutions that he has received from the Jews and from the Gentiles. He talks about all of the trials that he went through throughout his ministry. Paul was a man that understood suffering. But where Paul really comes through in his suffering is in the verse that we read before where he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. In this verse, Paul uses uh, extraordinary language. He uses language that uh, is a very strong language to tell us exactly how he is suffering. He is suffering a burden. He is, something, he is suffering something that is so heavy, he can't get out from under it. He is saying that his strength, he despairs of his strength. He has no hope whatsoever in what he is going through. And he even says he despaired of life itself. It's the only place in all the New Testament that we see Paul saying almost that he was going to die. In fact, I would believe that probably Paul, when he was in Asia, at one point in Ephesus, he was close to death. And he says something that's unbelievable. He says, we felt we received the sentence of death. And that's a phrase, and I hope I'm able to explain it here. It's the idea, as Louis said to us, he says, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get over this. I might have to deliver this my whole life. Well, Paul is saying the same thing here. The idea is he has prayed to God and God has given him the answer. He knows the answer already. And what is that answer? The answer is that he is going to live continually the sentence or the answer of death. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a person living with that kind of a burden, that kind of a pain, that kind of chaos in his life continually and God having said to him this is not something that's going to be taken away this is something that you are going to live with for your whole life why do we suffer 
the first one, to eliminate sin in our life. There are some people that live, now what we're talking about here is not just ordinary suffering. Even the words that Paul uses in chapter 1 in the verse 3 to 11, uh, he uses, I believe, the idea of suffering or the idea of burden, thlipsis, as uh, Tanya taught us in Greek uh, on the first week that uh, uh, Nick spoke. He uses it ten times in the space of about five verses. He uses suffering not as many times, but as uh, quite a few times also in the same verses. And Paul realizes that people, sometimes the lives that they live and what they are experiencing, for him it wasn't because of sin. He could say to God, listen, I'm living this not because of sin. I am living this because you have given me this to live my life for the benefit of others. That's, that's something in itself. But there are some people that live deep chaos, deep pain, deep burden because of sin. And Paul doesn't take that away even in 1 Corinthians. He tells the Corinthians that when they meet together because they are acting in a way that's bad one to another, they are bringing a judgment upon the church and that they're bringing a judgment upon themselves. We talked about reconciliation at the breaking of bread this morning. God does not permit that there would be war between the believers. God does not permit that I can say to somebody, I don't like your face. God does not permit me to say, no, that person, that person, I can see him in church, but there's no way I'm going on holidays with him or with her. God doesn't permit that. God says we are reconciled one to another and we must love one another. And when we don't love one another, we can bring a, 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 a judgment upon ourselves. And that's one thing that we can bring a judgment upon ourselves. But there are others. There are people in this world that are suffering tremendously because of the sin in their lives. But I'd like to tell you this morning, to you that are here and to the people that are on Zoom, I'd really like to say from the bottom of my heart, if you are suffering because of sin in your life in any form, in, every, in any way, I am telling you right now that Jesus Christ is willing to forgive you for every sin that you have committed. Everything is sin that is in your life. Today Jesus is there and is willing to forgive you completely. And if you're a Christian and you've been living in sin for a long time, Jesus even then says, I'm telling you something right now. I am willing to forgive you every single time you admit to me that I have sinned and I am able to restore you. People, there is nothing in this world or in this life that can block out Jesus' love and grace toward us. He loves you. He loves me. Why? Because of his grace. We don't deserve anything, but he, he, he loves us and he forgives us. One of the ways that the Bible gives us to treat the idea of having sin in our lives that's causing chaos, that's causing pain, that's causing darkness. In James it says, if anybody has sinned, or has anybody, call the elders. 
and the elders will come and they will pray for him and he will be, I don't know what the word is in English, but he sera relevé. What? He will be lifted up. There's a reason why James told us that. And I, re -believe, I really believe, despite how busy our elders are, we can make them more busy by going to see them sometimes when there are things in our life that are causing chaos, that are causing pain, that are causing darkness. And we can say to them, listen, this is in my life. It's overpowering me. It's controlling me. I need for you to take care of me. I need for you to pray for me. And elders, because they're elders... They're able to take that and they're able to pray for you in a way that is more powerful than you can, than you can believe. Another way, another reason that we might live in chaos and pain and darkness is because God has given us trials because he wants to, to, to change our characters. He wants to transform us. In the Bible, the Jewish nation is called Israel. That comes from a man who received that name from God. But before he received the name Israel, what was his name? Jacob. The trickster. The manipulator. The liar. And God made Jacob into the prince of Israel. Israel. Jacob wrestled with him. But after wrestling with him, God broke him. And when he was broken, God made him into something <laughs> that he never knew he would become. And that people became the people that God used for the salvation of the earth and of the nations. Maybe you're going through some difficult times and you're saying, well, what's happening here? What's happening here? Maybe God is using these trials to do something in your life to transform your character. To make you a different person, a different man, a different woman. Another reason is that maybe God wants you to know him better. Jo Job or Job? Job. He went through... The 42 chapters, he went through at least 38 where the suffering was evident and his friends were telling him over and over again, you're suffering because you have sinned. And Job saying, no, 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 I haven't sinned. And even he, in the end, started to argue with God. And maybe if he had been quiet a lot sooner, we wouldn't have had to see 42 chapters in the book of Job. But what did God say to him in the end? Or what did he say to God? He says, after everything, he says, you know what? Before I heard about God, I could tell you about who he was, maybe intellectually. But now, after going through what I went through, I have seen him. And very often, we can go through suffering. We can go through hard times. We can go through chaos. We can go through pain. We can go through darkness. And what God is doing, he's bringing us to a place where we can know him better. Another thing that God might be teaching us as we're going through such a suffering is that to find aid from others. As I was going, as I was going through the study and I was thinking of different stories in the Bible, I thought of the story about Elijah 
who went against the prophet's vow. And after he came back, he was so weary, he was so out of it, that when Jezebel said, I'm going to kill him, he ran away and he went into the, the, uh, the, the desert. And God brought him to a place where God was going to feed him, God was going to give him rest, God was going to give him a new revelation. And you know what? And then God says to him in the end, you're not the only one that serves me. I have all those 7,000 other people that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Sometimes we think we're the only ones. We're the only ones going through what we're going through. Nobody else understands. And I'm, all, I'm doing this for God. And what's happening? And God, sometimes he takes us apart. Not to isolate ourselves like Dewey was talking about, but to take us apart so that we can have a rest, that we can be restored, that we can receive a new revelation of who God is, and we can find help from others that can give us that. And I think that is what Louis was trying to tell us. Sometimes other people, and being with other people, we can receive the help that we need for what we're going through. The other thing is that it permits us to participate in Christ's sufferings. And when we think of Christ's sufferings, Jesus died on the cross so that we might be saved. His sufferings were always for others. You know, people think that when we become Christians, God becomes a Santa Claus for us. He gives us whatever we want. It's not true. Once we become Christians, there's no Christian in the Bible that is not baptized. Why? Because a Christian that becomes a Christian gets baptized because that person wants to follow God. That person gives himself to God. That person says, okay, Lord, do with me what you want to do with me now. And what God does, God uses that person, not for that person's own self, but God uses that person for the people around him. We become Christians not for ourselves so that we can say I'm saved. We become Christians so that God can use us for the other people that are around us. We participate sometimes in these chaotic moments and this pain, this darkness. We, 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 we suffer this because God is going to use us somehow to be able to help others. Comforting. You know, we read this passage, and, and this is very important. I know it's, we're finished, Nick, so don't look at your watch anymore. But, and there's no, no Q&A, I'm telling you right now. Uh, the word comfort, when we think the word comfort, we think it's somebody coming over to us and saying, oh, it's okay, Leslie. Don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. Give me a big hug and a big kiss, and I feel oh so good inside myself. That's not comforting. Comforting, according to the Bible, is when God, in his grace and in his power, enables us to be able to do what God wants us to do. So when we're asking people, well, comfort that person, it's not just that that person would feel okay. What it is, is we're asking God to work in the life of that person so that person may persevere, that person might endure. That person might praise God even if he's going such a, through such a difficult or he or she is going through such a difficult time. Comfort
comforting is not just feeling good. Comforting is a directive or a direction that God gives us so that we might live as God wants us to live during the suffering. And the last thing, praying. There's a phrase here that says, many lifting their hearts to God, they, they will pray one for another so that in the end God will be glorified. The idea in the Greek is that we have many faces looking up to God. Many faces looking up to God, praying for that person. Not that that person would not suffer anymore, although sometimes we might pray that, but we are praying for that person that God might be glorified in that person's life and in that person's ministry so that all the people together might thank God and praise God for what he is doing. Let's stand. Please. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Let's think of those around us, whether they're Christians or not, that are suffering greatly. Like Louis shared with us today. Let's think of those people. And let's say to God, Lord, do to me and use me as you want that I might be good for those around me. Not for myself, but for those around me. Help me to be a servant in the image of my Lord and Savior.